This is the Turn on the Jets podcast, presented by Prime Sport. With the third pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Sam Darnold, quarterback, USC. He was great! I want to play right now! And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. This week, we're going to be joined by Joey Kaufman of the Orange County Register. He covered Sam Darnold during his career at USC. He had previously talked with Scott Mason on our Play Like a Jet podcast when we were doing different previews for potential quarterbacks for the Jets. Now, Darnold at that time was not considered a prospective favorite, uh, but here we are. So we wanted to bring him back and uh, have another conversation with him about what his thoughts are on Darnold's personality, fit with the Jets, how he thinks he's going to migrate to the new media market here. Uh, So we'll dive into that conversation in a few minutes. Before we get into that, we're also going to answer a couple of your questions from Twitter on the New York Jets. And we also need to remind you guys that this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official sponsor and team partner of the New York Jets. Make sure to check out primesport.com slash turn on the Jets for hospitality and pick ticket packages for the 2018 season. That schedule's out. That home opener is out. Uh, so make sure you check out primesport.com slash turn on the Jets. Give them a follow on Facebook. Give them a follow on Twitter at primesport. Our podcast is also brought to you by Razor Sport. That's R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T dot com. Make sure to follow Razor Sport Club on Twitter and make sure to go to RazorSport.com and sign up for the member section for the best advice and betting consultants on the NBA playoffs, the MLB regular season, the NHL playoffs, and anything else that you could think of. Uh, we're still playing out the Triple Crown here, so what better time than now to sign up at Razorsport.com, R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T.com. Again, Prime Sport, Razor Sport, support the friends of the podcast so we can continue to grow and expand. Uh, elsewhere across our Turn on the Jets digital podcast network, along with subscribing and leaving us a rating here on iTunes, make sure you check out the Play Like a Jet podcast hosted by Scott Mason, um, the Draft Season podcast hosted by Joe Malfa and Dalvin Osario, the Stick to the Jets podcast hosted by Connor Rogers, uh, our soon-to-be-launched Turn on the Jets film room podcast, Podcast hosted by Joe Blewett and Kyle Smith, who we just announced today will be joining him as a co-host. Make sure to give them a follow now on Twitter at TOJ Film Room before they start rolling out new content. Michael Nanya is also rolling out a new podcast for us towards the end of the summer, which he launched a preview article article for, which will break down all the Jets opponents throughout the season. So make sure to give him a follow on Twitter at Michael underscore Nanya. And I believe I've covered every single one. It's a lot of podcasts right now. So it is uh, hard to keep up with, but we're definitely excited about continuing to expand and give you guys as many options as possible when it comes to consuming New York Jets content. I'm realizing the one I forgot now. The Jet Take, our call-in show every single Wednesday. Uh, those guys have been around for a few years, and we're really excited to be working with them at Turn on the Jets Digital. So give Kyle Fahey and Ben Blessington a follow on Twitter and give the Jet Take a subscribe and a rating over on iTunes. That should cover you for all the podcasts. All right, before we jump in to our interview with Joey Kaufman, want to answer a couple of questions that you guys had sent over on Twitter based on some recent Jets news, Jets draft picks. We'll try to do this each week. Uh, 
to supplement our interviews with different people on the podcast. And if you have anyone in particular you'd like to hear us interview, you can also tweet that over to me, at Jay Caparoso. Uh, first question comes from Paul Garrity. Uh, any idea why the popular narrative about the Jets' offensive line is that they're going to be terrible? Um, we've seen a decent amount of this, and a lot of it is around concern about playing Sam Darnold too early. I don't think that should be a major concern when you take a step back from playing Darnold in year one, because I do think when he gets into training camp, he will prove himself to be the best quarterback on this roster. I don't think the Jets are doing themselves any favors by delaying the inevitable of getting him out there. Now, the Jets' offensive line is far from great, but they should be better than they were last year. And last year, I wouldn't say they were a train wreck or one of the worst units in the NFL. I know a lot of people have shared that PFF had them ranked 30th. And again, PFF, useful tool, not the Bible. And I think their ratings there were hurt in particular because of how ineffective their running game was. And I think some of that had to do with blocking. I also think some of that had to do with Matt Forte and Elijah McGuire not being particularly good when running the football. I think McGuire has some potential in the passing game going forward, but as a runner, definitely still has a long way to go, and we know Matt Forte was running in cement last year. So this was a unit that was definitely below average last year, but has the ability to be at least average this season if they can stay healthy. And I know that's not the most ringing endorsement, but there's no need to act like that this unit is one of the worst in football and was a complete disaster that was regularly getting their quarterback killed last year. I think when you look at how they were set up, you had Wesley Johnson, who was arguably the worst starting center in football. He's been replaced by Spencer Long, which should be an upgrade pending, of course, Long could stay healthy. And I think that ripple down effect will help Brian Winters and James Carpenter play better. And in Winters' case, he was playing through a pretty serious injury last year. So you're hoping that he's 100% healthy this year. So you have improvement from him. You have improvement at center from going from Johnson to Spencer Long, which will make James Carpenter's life easier. And then you're returning your two starting tackles from last year in Calvin Beecham and Brandon Shell. Beecham was very steady last year. Uh, good, not great, but steady and reliable at left tackle, which is obviously a critical spot. Brandon Shell was another guy who was banged up last year. Only played, I think, 62% of the Jets' offensive snaps. So if you get him for 80, 90, 100% of the snaps next year, they should be better and more consistent overall. And when you look at their depth, and no team in the NFL is happy with their offensive line depth. There's just not that many good offensive linemen out there where you're going to have this endless bank of reliable players to bring in if you sustain injuries. But if you look at the Jets' backups... Ben and Jelana has starting experience for them over the past two years at left tackle and right tackle. Brent Qualley has starting experience for them at right tackle. Travis Swanson was a starting center in Detroit over the past few years. Uh, Jonathan Harrison started a game for them last year at center. And Dakota Dozier has been regularly used in short yardage packages. So they have four or five guys who have at least played a decent amount of NFL snaps. And if they have to step in for a week or two, shouldn't be an unmitigated disaster. Again, there are a lot of ifs here. If Spencer Long stays healthy, if Brian Winters goes back to being the player he was pre-injury, and if Brandon Shell could play more than 62% of the snaps, they should be a middle-of-the-road unit. And it's also on Jeremy Bates to do a good job coaching around any of their problems or short shortcomings, having Sam Darnold have quick releases, getting him outside of the pocket, and using his mobility. So there's going to probably be some rough patches, but... This unit has potential to exceed some of the expectations that they're being saddled with right now, which basically paints it as unquestionably one of the one or two worst offensive lines in the NFL. Uh, 
Other question we got here from John Cook. How many pass attempts are you giving Sam Darnold if he starts at Detroit week one? I think that's, of course, a game plan specific question. But if Darnold's your starting quarterback, you're going to try to run your offense to the best of your ability. And you're going to try to coach to his strengths, which means use his mobility, get him outside the pocket, get him some easy throws, get him some running back and wide receiver screens. And I'd expect him to throw the ball anywhere from, you know, 20 to 30 times, like most starting quarterbacks would, depending on the flow of the game. The Jets are six and half point underdog so you're going to expect them at least Vegas is expecting them to be behind in that game so maybe that number does skew up a little higher but I think you'll see a lot of easy throws if that ends up being a Darnold start because it'll be his first game to try to get his confidence up and get him in a rhythm you do want to ease his transition, but you also don't want to coach around him too much. You want to give him the full playbook so you could see what he struggles with and what he is good at so you could continue to cater it and evolve those calls throughout the season. Uh, last question before we dive into the interview, and this is basically an aggregation of a few different questions uh, that we got about Teddy Bridgewater and his availability this season. As it stands right now, I think Jet fans should be under the assumption that Bridgewater is less likely, uh, is more likely to never play a regular season snap for the Jets than he is to be a factor in playing time this season. I think you have to remember with Bridgewater, he settled on taking a contract with $500,000 of guarantee money to come to a team that already was bringing its starting quarterback back from last year and they knew would be drafting a quarterback in the first round of the NFL draft. So he came to a situation where he knew he was going to have a tough time to play and didn't have much guaranteed money. I think the reason that he ends up taking a contract in a situation like that is because there wasn't all that much league-wide interest in him because people are skeptical about his health. And even right now, we can't get a straight answer from the Jets' front office uh, or coaching staff about what his actual availability is really going to be during OTAs and training camps. So I think the Jets are hoping that he shows signs of being healthy, and then they will look at potentially trying to trade him. And if he's not healthy, which is still a real possibility, I think he gets released before week one, so they don't have to pay any guaranteed money to him. So we'll see how it plays out. Hopefully Bridgewater can prove himself to be healthy and can be an asset the Jets could flip for a draft pick in future years since they're short next season. But as of now, until we see Bridgewater out there healthy and playing, the assumption has to be is that he's not 100% back to being the player he was in 2015. Okay, and we are now joined by our guest this week. He covered Darnold for the Orange County Register, Joey Kaufman, who had previously joined Scott Mason on our Play Like a Jet podcast to talk a little bit about Darnold's career. We do want to go further uh, into that now that he is the Jets' new franchise quarterback. Joey, thank you for taking the time for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. When I uh, talked with Scott a couple weeks ago, he didn't seem to think that Darnold would slip and fall to the Jets, and that seemed to be kind of the consensus, but... Here we are. Well, I think that's a perfect place to start. And like you said, most Jet fans spent predominantly throughout the pre-draft process thinking about Josh Rosen and Baker Mayfield, thinking Darnold would go with one, maybe go number two if the Browns decided to pass on him. But here we are with Darnold. Um, What should Jet fans at a high level know about this guy's background and personality? I think there was a lot of talk in the pre-draft process about Rosen's personality and if that would be an issue, Baker Mayfield's personality, even Josh Allen coming from uh, a small school and then some of the stuff that flared up with him on Twitter before the draft. We don't hear a lot about Darnold's history, background, and, and the type of person he is on and around the field. What what would you say your observations were from following him the past few years? 
He's a very low key guy. He's he's the he was the USC quarterback for the last year, and his face was on ESPN the magazine and Sports Illustrated. But he's uh he's from San Clemente, California, which for those who aren't familiar with the Southern California geography, is about halfway between LA and, and San Diego. So he kind of grew up in a quiet beach town, played sports growing up. He's he's kind of a more unassuming kid than I think maybe. Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield, if you if you kind of watch him on the field or interact with guys on the sidelines, Calvin has kind of this expressionless stare to him where you don't really see him being too demonstrative or rah-rah or, or you don't really see him kind of in post-game interviews saying anything too controversial or where Josh Rosen was kind of a, more of a lightning rod and, and talking about athletes getting, college athletes getting compensated, talking about presidential politics. Sam Darnold didn't really wade into those waters too much. So he's, he's, he's different from, from Josh Rosen in quite a lot of ways. With Darnold's age, and I think a lot of Jet fans are both excited about him being the youngest of these four big prospects in the class, but also a little concerned about him potentially, I don't know, maybe starting too soon. I personally think he's in a situation where he could probably play sooner rather than later. Now, he, when he initially took over the USC job, he was on the younger side of things. He wasn't initially planned to be a starter at the beginning of the season. How did teammates rally around him after he took over? And do you think there would be any issues after seeing him do that at USC if he does end up being a starting quarterback at some point this season, which is pretty likely considering the Jets' depth chart. You, Yeah, because you, you bring up a good point about Donald's age when he was the USC quarterback. He took over as a freshman when he was just – he had just turned 19 a couple months ago. So a really young guy, very little experience actually playing quarterback. Before his first season as a starter, if you go back to the 2016 season where Donald's a redshirt freshman – taking over. He had registered his entire freshman year, so he wasn't on the field at all for USC. His senior year of high school was his first year starting as a quarterback because his junior year, he broke his foot three games into the season. So here's a guy, a redshirt freshman, 19 years old, not a ton of experience. But one of the things that they really liked about him was he took over at a time where USC was one and two, one and four in the start of the Clay Helton's kind of permanent tenure. And, and, and there was a lot of concern about whether Clay Helton was going to keep his job and, and last the season. And then Sam Donald kind of comes in and has this kind of quiet, steady leadership to him. Clay Helton kind of told me a new story before the draft where it's the first week where Sam's the starting quarterback and, and he throws a pass to Juju Smith-Schuster in a seven-on-seven drill. And then anybody who's kind of aware of social media knows kind of the big personality that, that Juju is, and he spikes the ball after the, the, the touchdown in 7-on-7, seven seven, and Darnold takes him aside and says, hey, we don't need that right now. We're we're one and two, man. Um, and they end up kind of rebounding that whole season. And, and, and a lot of people like the way Darnold connected with guys. He wasn't really going to yell at a guy or single anybody out, but you kind of had this quiet steadiness to him that, that really helped USC in a time when they were kind of in a state of disarray. Going from, I mean, he was under a fairly big microscope at USC. Obviously, he was the projected first pick for over a year. Some Sometimes this is expressed as a concern, although I think it's overstated with how media is now. 
how will a young franchise quarterback or any franchise quarterback handle the microscope of the New York media, the New York media market? Any franchise quarterback anywhere in the NFL is going to be under an intense amount of scrutiny. How do you think Darnold will handle moving across the country and then dealing with not just the New York media, but the larger sort of NFL media infrastructure and the microscope he'll be under has the new prospective franchise quarterback for a team who hasn't really had one since, you know, the late 1960s, early 1970s. Um, How do you think he'll adjust to that transition and handle the media overall? I think he'll be okay. He's not a big guy who really seeks the limelight. He actually doesn't have a Twitter account. And he's never been a guy who's really kind of sought attention and, and kind of reacts in that way. But for the last year at SC, he was kind of the pre-determined Heisman Trophy front runner. So you had Sports Illustrated profiles, ESPN the magazine profiles of him. He was on Sports Center being interviewed. So I think he's kind of gotten his feet adjusted, feet wet a little bit in terms of the attention that you'll get. And one of the things that always struck me is, is last year there was a fair bit of nitpicking with his game especially with interceptions, and, and even their games where USC wins, and he throws four touchdown passes, and they win by by 20 points or so. But he has a couple turnovers, and a big part of the, the post-game scrum is with him getting asked about interceptions and, and his plays being critiqued for a fair share of it. But he never really seemed to lose his cool. He never kind of, you know, wouldn't ever see him lash out a reporter or quibble with the, the pretense to a question. You wouldn't see him throw a teammate under the bus. He, he, even in cases where he or maybe a receiver drops it, he kind of took blame in those circumstances. So I, I thought he displayed a good deal of patience in those situations where maybe somebody kind of is visibly frustrated. He never really seemed to be like that. All right, last question here before we let you go. I mean, what what were your thoughts on Darnold ultimately going three and not number one or number two? I think most people had him lined up with Cleveland. What do you think about the overall fit with the New York Jets? And do you think he is a guy uh, with his game and with his career at USC that, let's say he does get the call to start, I don't know, 10, 12, 14, or maybe even 16 games this year, because it does sound like that's a possibility based on some of the early comments out of the Jets. How do you think his career potentially, early years of his career, project forward with him being the Jets guy uh, instead of Cleveland or the Giants or maybe some of the other teams? that were rumored for him uh, in the pre-draft process? I tended to think the guys like Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen seemed to be a bit more ready to go off the bat just because they had more reps in college and, and, and more experience than whatnot. But I do tend to be pretty high on, on Sam's kind of overall NFL trajectory. Just he, he's, I, I imagine in New York there's probably a, a fair bit of comparison to Mark Sanchez, he was the last guy from USC to come in, and he was supposed to be the franchise quarterback. But the thing that's always struck me about Darnold was the, the the time that he arrived at USC was much different. Darnold went 20-4 and four as a starter, and if you look at the 24 games before Darnold was a starter, USC was 14-10. and 10. So he, he kind of came to USC at a time when the program was recovering from NCAA sanctions. They were recovering from Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, at Odron, ten years where things were all over the place and they lacked stability, and he kind of gave that to SC. He kind of provided that that kick, so he was able to kind of make something out of nothing in, in a lot of ways. And I don't want to say USC had nothing, but he he kind of 
is is largely responsible for reviving that program. So I, I kind of tend to think that he's got a the certain qualities needed to to revive an NFL team. I don't know how soon it'll be, but I think he's got probably the highest ceiling of anybody in this draft just because of how young he's been able, how young he is, and kind of what he was able to do at SC, where he wasn't surrounded by the supporting cast that you maybe are used to accustomed to seeing USC guys having. All right, Joey, we appreciate you taking the time for joining us. Everyone give him a follow on Twitter, at Joey R. Kaufman. He covers USC for the Orange County Register. Thank you again for taking the time uh, for joining us, and hopefully uh, USC has helped deliver the New York Jets uh, their first franchise quarterback in a very, very long time. Yeah, I tend to think it'll it'll go better and end better than the butt fumble, but you never know with these things. (laughs) We're trying to be optimistic here, so I'm hoping for that as well. Yeah. All right, thanks again. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Turn on the Jets podcast this week. And if you've missed any of the rest of our podcasts at TOJ Digital, please go ahead, subscribe, rate, review, and listen to all of this week's episodes. The week began on Sunday with a special Play Like a Jet podcast featuring Daryl Slater of New Jersey Advanced Media, who came on to talk about everything that went down at Rookie Minicamp over the weekend, plus touched a little bit on the release of Bryce Petty and the incredibly strange story surrounding Christian Hackenberg and the fact that he apparently changed his throwing motion without telling anybody. That's available right now at the Play Like a Jet feed on iTunes and anywhere else where podcasts can be downloaded as well as turnonthejets.com. That's where you can also find the special edition podcast that we dropped on Tuesday with Joe Blewett breaking down Sam Darnold's 2017 film at USC. It's a great companion to what you just heard from Joey Kaufman on the Turn on the Jets podcast, and it was only part one of a several-part series that we're doing with Joe. He broke down the first two games of the season against Western Michigan and Stanford, and we're going to do more over the next couple of weeks. Don't forget, all the accompanying video clips from this film breakdown are available at TurnOnTheJets.com. So if you want to use that as a visual aid as we go through this podcast series, you certainly can. Kyle Smith will eventually join me for a series on 2016 Sam Darnold film. And both of these series will be a great prelude to the brand new podcast coming to Turn On The Jets Digital with Joe and Kyle hosting it together. Turn On The Jets Film Room, where every week they're going to take a look at the film of different players, break down that week's game film, cover storylines, and a whole bunch more. It's going to be an outstanding podcast, probably going to be starting within the next month or two at some point. So keep your eyes and ears open, but this is a great way to initiate yourself into the world of what Joe and Kyle do in breaking down film. Brand new draft season is up right now at Turn on the Jets Digital as well with Dalvin Asario and Dan Essien pinch hitting for Joe Malfa. Dan got into a piece that he worked on at TurnOnTheJets.com recently talking about the evolution of Leonard Williams and how it relates to draft season is that he went into the evolution of Williams throughout college and then into the pros, which included how he stacked up against other players at the time of the draft and revisited what drove his draft stock, how he ended up going number six to the Jets, so on and so forth. A really fun listen, so check it out and make sure to subscribe and give them a review. And also the Jet Take, where you can call in and give your opinions on a weekly basis. It's a call-in show, Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock Eastern Time. Ben Blessington and Kyle Fahey go through all the latest in Jets storylines and take your phone calls, so make sure you call in live. And if you miss this show, 
You can catch it for your ride to work on Thursday morning. The show gets uploaded right after it airs on Wednesday night. So it's there for you on Thursday morning, along with this podcast, the Turn on the Jets podcast. Great job this week with Joey Kaufman. I had a blast talking to him for my Sam Darnold getting to know the quarterbacks episode, which you can go back and listen to in the Play Like a Jet archives. It featured Dan Arlovsky, the former 12-year veteran NFL quarterback, Mark Schofield of Inside the Pylon, Jim Coburn, who broke down the analytics, and Joey Kaufman gave us a background on Sam Darnold at USC, which he got into even deeper with Joe here today. Great job. I really enjoyed listening. I hope you're listening on a weekly basis and you're subscribed to the Turn on the Jets podcast feed. If not, go ahead and do that now. And then we finish off the week on Fridays with Play Like a Jet, our weekly look back at the biggest moments in New York Jets history, games, seasons, careers, events, anything big in New York Jets history. Myself and Big John Sparopoulos cover it in detail, and we bring you the perspective of somebody who was there at the time. We just wrapped up an 11-part series on the 2009 season, the year that Mark Sanchez was picked number five overall in the draft out of USC. Sound familiar? And put into the starting lineup. It was also the first year that Rex Ryan was the head coach of the New York Jets. We talked all about it in 11 parts with former Pro Bowl running back Thomas Jones. So if you missed any of those 11 parts, they're all available in our archives right now. And this Friday, we start a brand new series on another season that the Jets went to the AFC Championship game because that is how the 2009 season ended. And I'm talking about the year 1998. One of the best seasons in New York Jets history, and we're going to talk about it with a 10-year NFL veteran, a guy who was one of the best nickel corners in the entire league and spent nearly that full decade of his career with the New York Jets, Ray Mickens. Really looking forward to getting into that season. It was one of my favorites, and as I said, one of the best seasons in New York Jets history. So, if you are not subscribed yet, please subscribe to the Play Like a Jet feed so you don't miss any of the episodes, including the brand new series starting Friday on 1998 with Ray Mickens. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at play like a jet one. Follow us on Instagram at turn on the jets underscore IG. And for all the latest in Jets news and information, visit your one stop shop, turn on the jets.com. All right, that should be good. I can send it to Joe now. Let me hit stop on this. Uh, hey, Paulie, what's up, man? Hey, bro, what's going on? Um, j- dude, what what is WWE doing? Money in the Bank? I don't even want to watch it. Yeah, I don't, it's awful right now. I don't I have mean, any idea, man. It's ridiculous. I mean, Sasha's not going to be in the match. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's just it's the same stuff over and over. And, and then what was Roman going to find his way into the match somehow when when they're trying to pull this whole oh the the management's against him trying to make us believe that nonsense. Yeah, who the hell is going to believe that? They've been trying that story with Roman. Didn't they try that like two years ago? They started that story like around Christmas time? Yeah, they had like Roman attack Vince and then you never heard about it again. But let's get into the other stuff. So um, I'm going to be doing that ESPN spot with our local radio. Um, The guy's actually having me co-host the show uh, for two hours this Sunday. So do you think I should announce that on there or what? Oh, he's giving you a co-host? That's pretty cool. Yeah, dude, I thought I was just, I reached out to him and let him know. Um, you know that we were going to be starting this up, and I figured, well, let me just call just to you know get some airtime because I know he's always looking for somebody to talk football and whatever on Sundays during his show. He got back to me and was like, "Yeah, man, we want you to come and co-host the show for two hours, and you know talk about your stuff." So I was like, "Okay," 
So it looks like what I'm, what I'm doing on Sunday. So I figured that would be a good time to, you know, get it mentioned because, I mean, it's probably going to get out anyway sooner or later. Yeah, I mean, we haven't told anybody, but, uh, I mean, this would be a good time. Why not? I mean, listen, you can announce it on that show and then – you know, people are going to find out sooner or later. Anyway, yeah. you might as well find out that way, right? Especially Absolutely. your hometown outlet, I guess, right? Absolutely, for sure. And um, I got my logo guy working on the logo, um, so he said it should be done shortly. I know we didn't have a date set yet, but I mean, figure right around camp and stuff like that, we'll get that going. But he told me the logo will be done soon, oh, so nice. uh, you know, we're moving in the right direction to get everything done. Um, Dalvin's on board, so we're going to get that moving. Uh, so you know. Um, Got a couple, got a couple eyes, cross a couple T's, and we'll be ready to go. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna be funny when. Well, I mean, it's weird because it's such a different concept. I wonder how people are gonna react to it. But it's, we'll it, you know, it's out. something. That's the thing, though. When when you mentioned it to me, it was a different concept, but it's also something that's not out there too. So, I mean, I yeah. think uh, hopefully it's received well. I mean, Delvin and I, when we did this, uh, our last thing, you know, it was uh, it was pretty positive. So the feedback was good. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad that you brought the opportunity to me. Uh, it kind of rejuvenated me because, you know, I, I lost interest in it a little bit ago. But uh, but I'm back, and, and I'm glad you asked me you thought of me when, when, when you came up with this. Yeah, man, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to, to helping out with it, too. It's going to be uh, almost like uh, when when WWE came up with Money in the Bank, right? Like a totally different deal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad, like I said, when you asked me, I told you, uh, you're just as much a part of it as as, as I am, and 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 Delvin. So you know, it could, could be well, we could be the shield. How about that? We'll be, that'll be us. But but I get to be Seth, though. I get to be Seth. All right. As, uh, I don't know. Do I want to be? Well, Dean Dean's married to to Renee Young, and he's a better than Roman, but he's such a Delvin weird... loves Roman. Delvin loves Roman, so he could be Roman. Yeah, I'll, I'll let him be Roman and get booed out of the building. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a role he was born to play, right? Exactly, exactly. All right, man. Yeah, so um, did you – all right, so I guess, yeah, take care of that. And then didn't you – you had something – You were, we were talking before um, when I texted you about the Sasha Banks thing. What it, what you, you had a booking idea for that? Yeah, it was just – dude, like the perfect scenario for Money in the Bank because she didn't win, right, because she didn't win the qualifying match. You have Bailey in a week or two win a, win a qualifying match. She's in. And, and, and then a week later, her and Sasha are in the locker room. Sasha's talking about how she's not qualifying and she's been a part of all a lot of firsts. And Bailey looks at her and says, yeah, but it's my time now. Sasha's a little pissed, but, you know, gives her whatever, walks out, whatever. Then a couple weeks later, lights off in the locker room. Um, medical runs in, referees run in, Sasha runs in. Bailey's getting up off the ground. Somebody attacked her. You don't know who. So then Bailey's out of the match because she already qualified. So then what you do is, in my opinion, Sasha gets a qualifying match. She gets in the match. She wins the match. And then she reveals that she attacked Bailey because it's her moment. And then she wins money in the bank. Now, everybody knows it's, it's a biased opinion for me, but it's also a smart one, which means it's never going to happen. Well, you know how Vince is, man. He does, Anything that's good, he doesn't – any at this point – if it's a good idea, it's almost like he's opposed to it on principle, right? Exactly, exactly. It's just, I, I just the, the way I feel is that if they hired more people who actually cared about the product, it would be so much better. Yeah, good luck with that, man. Absolutely, Hiring people that care about the product. I don't. I feel like that's uh, that's something that they purposely go out of their way to avoid doing sometimes, right? Yeah, 
All right, man, but I got to get going. Um, All right. But, uh, but what I'm are you, glad what are you we got for to... dinner, man? When am I getting an invite? What's going on? Uh, yeah, tonight's going to but that's Saturday night because we're taking out the mothers for Mother's uh, Day. So. All right. Okay. Well, one of these right, days, man. man. All right. I'll catch All you right. later, bro. All right. Peace.